If you're turning your Bibles to the Gospel of John, John chapter 2, John chapter 2, and we'll think a little bit tonight about religious belief and saving faith, or spiritual or religious. Believing, religious belief and saving faith, uh, spiritual or religious. John's Gospel, chapter 2, and verse 23, when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover in the feast day, many believed in his name, when they saw the miracles, which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them, because he knew all, and they've added the word men, he knew all men did not need that any should testify of man, tell him about man, for he knew what was in man. John's Gospel, chapter 2, 23 through 25. Let's pray. Our Father, we call upon you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, confessing our utter dependence upon you for a right understanding of your revealed will in your word. We thank you for your word that you've given to us by the inspiration of the Spirit using over 40 men over a period of 1,600 years to give us a revelation of your person and your work. And especially, are we thankful for the salvation that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. We do pray tonight that you will enlighten us and help us to understand that we might be indeed spiritual people rather than just religiously lost people. We ask it in the name of Jesus. We believe to be the Christ, our Lord and Savior, for his sake. Amen. Now, lots of scholars have debated for a long time about the real basic meaning of the word religion. A neighbor of mine uh, mentioned a year or so ago, I think he mentioned it to Lynn, he did mention it directly to me, but he was talking about belief and faith. And he said, I just wonder what the difference is between belief and faith. I can share a little bit more of that with you, God willing, uh, either Sunday morning or next Tuesday. I haven't decided on which I'm going to bring you a study about the, the historicity and the objectivity of the gospel. That is, that the gospel is objective and it's a historical fact. We'll talk to you about that. That's important because today the gospel that is preached is a subjective, has people looking in here to see if there's any faith, to see if there's anything in here, rather than objectively out there to Christ. And the gospel is objective, and it's very important that we understand what that means. Tonight, though, we're going to talk to you about religious belief and saving faith, trusting Christ and trusting ourselves or something else. I, I read many years ago a 
something by an old Quaker, and I've often used it, and it's something like that. He, something like this. He had been at a, some people's homes. He had taught all week, and he had been in their home, and uh, they had taken care of him and fed him and all of that. And when he got ready to leave, he said, I hope thee and thine can enjoy me and mine as much as me and mine have enjoyed thee and thine. If thee and thine ever visit me and mine, me and mine will try to treat thee and thine as thou hast treated me and mine. (laughs) Well, the old fellow had his way of talking, and today we've developed a new kind of talking about salvation and uh, about Christ and about the gospel And I'm afraid that there are many, many, many people who are religious people, but they don't have any really saving faith. We just read here in the Gospel of John chapter 2 that when Jesus was in Jerusalem, verse 23, at the feast over, at the Passover rather, in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did, but Jesus did not, verse 24, commit himself unto them. Now this is why I often say, or one reason why, I'll give you more reasons uh, for this uh, later, but uh, one reason why I say that it's more than just giving Jesus a nod. Faith is more than just giving Jesus a nod, just saying, okay, I believe in Jesus. Uh, and I, uh, uh, I'm going to repeat a prayer, a prayer after you and say some words, and then that makes me a believer, and it doesn't matter about anything else. I do believe that we're saved by grace through faith plus nothing. I believe that. And I believe faith, saving faith is a gift. I believe repentance is a gift. All of these things are gifts. We don't have them in ourselves They are given to us of the Lord. We need to make sure that we're not religious people and uh, that we are spiritual people, people who have the Spirit of Christ. Now, what occasions religious belief? What occasions religious belief? Well, if you look through this chapter here, and we'll just look at these verses, we'll confine ourselves to these verses. It says in verse 23 that when he was in Jerusalem, number one, religious belief is often occasioned by location. Where were they? In Jerusalem, in the holy city. What's Rome called? Rome's called the eternal city. And there are people who, when they go to Jerusalem, the Bible has quite a bit to say about Jerusalem. The Bible, especially in the Old Testament, when Israel was an Old Testament people, ancient people, the scriptures indicate that God called Jerusalem his city. He called it his place. He called it Mount Zion, But what we have to understand now is that the Messiah has come. With the coming of the Messiah, we are freed from 
location in terms of worshiping God. When people go to Jerusalem, they go over to that wall, the only part that's left of the temple built by Solomon, rebuilt a couple of times and rebuilt lastly by Herod, King Herod, who added on to it a lot of things. And they go over to that, to that wall uh, called the Wailing Wall. All of you have seen that. And they go over there and some of them weep and some of them cry and all of them pray. And from presidents to queens to kings to heads of parliament, they take little prayers and stick it in the wall, uh, of the crevices of that wall. Uh, what do they hope to gain by that? Do they think that God is any closer to them because they're in Jerusalem? And because they're there at a wall that's part of a temple that God himself destroyed? The Lord told them, I'm going to destroy the temple. I'm going to destroy everything about the temple, including the priesthood. Israel don't have it. They don't have priests. They don't know where their priest is. They know where the tribe of Levi is. I had a friend I grew up with in Georgia. He's still alive. His last name was Cohen. C-O-H-E-N. Cohen. The Cohens came from uh, one of the three groups of Levites that were uh, the high priest or the priest of Israel. But the Lord destroyed all of that. Why? Well, we're told in the book of Hebrews because the way into the holiest now is not through some priest down here or through some church down here or through some special prayer down here or through some, some kind of special something or buildings or anything down here. The way into the holy of holies now is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this cross right up here is as holy as the cross upon which Christ himself was crucified on. Because it is not the cross that saves us, it is the Christ of the cross. Now imagine when I said what I just said just then, there are people that say, you know, that borders on blasphemy. Say, that thing up there is as holy as the cross that Christ died on. There's nothing holy about the cross that Christ died on. If you had the sandals off of the Lord's feet and you didn't have the Lord, you don't have anything. We see, we're religious people by nature. The word religion, I traced it back to a Latin term, religare, you know what it means? It comes from a word that means to tie fast. To, to translate it into our understanding, it means to grab fast and hold on to. You say a guy's religious about working on his car. He's religious about that garden. He's religious about keeping his body clean. Or he's religious about the way he combs his hair. Religious is, has to do with anything that you persistently and consistently pursue after, but it doesn't have any saving value to it. It has no vicarious uh, value to it. Here, you can see that they were in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a location, and location often is a foundation for religious people. There are people who feel nearer to God if they're in Jerusalem, or nearer to God 
if they're in Rome. Or if you go up to New York City or some other place where there's a huge cathedral with a ceiling that's taller than ours, you'll feel some sense of awe when you go into all the buildings in Washington, D.C. They were deliberately built to create awe for the law, for the power of the law. So you go into all those buildings, and the government, of course, that's what I mean by the law, the government. So they were designed to do that. So religious belief, number one, is, can be occasioned by location. People who think Jerusalem is somewhere to be because the Lord walked over there. And he did walk there. Number two, religious belief is often occasioned by ceremony. By ceremony, look at verse 23. When he was in Jerusalem at the Passover. At the Passover. It was a religious time. It was a, uh, a ceremony. The Passover. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5 that Christ is our Passover. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Now, I have friends, I have friends who profess to be Christians. They give a pretty good profession of faith. And uh, each year when Passover is observed, which is in April or close to the time of we call Easter, uh, they sit down with a bunch of people and they observe a Passover and they say at the end of that Passover exactly what the Jews say until next year. They're doing that, and uh, I don't know what their reasons are for doing that. They think a lot of Israel. I think a lot of Israel. But Israel and the Jews are not the way to the Lord. The way to the Lord is through the Lord Jesus Christ. These people here were in Jerusalem, and they were in Jerusalem for the Passover. Lots of people, you know, I'm telling the truth, they get a lot more religious, a lot more kind, a lot more sweet around Christmas time, don't they? They sure do. And that sometimes you see that at uh, so-called Easter. You get, uh, people get religious when they come to church. They come to worship. They come to, uh, into a house to do something, to express their religion, perhaps. So location... Uh, religious belief is occasioned by location, number two, by Passover. Number three, by charisma, by charisma. When he was in Jerusalem at the Passover in the feast day, here you have for the Jews a person in, uh, in Jerusalem who has charisma. This is Jesus the prophet. They did not believe that he was the Messiah, but they did believe that he was some sort of prophet, some sort of holy man. You know, in John's Gospel, chapter 3, it was Nicodemus, you can see it right here, who said to Jesus, we know that you are a teacher come from God, verse 2 of John chapter 3, for no man can do these miracles that you do except God be with him. So they knew about Jesus. They knew about this man, Jesus. So you got, you got location, that occasions religion. You've got, there's people that could, they wouldn't be able to worship the Lord if you weren't in a church building. That has to do with location. Occasioned by ceremony, occasioned by charisma, 
and occasioned by celebration. It says he was in Jerusalem in the feast day. And there were lots of celebrations. There were Jews that traveled from all over the world to Jerusalem to observe Passover. Just like Islam today, uh, people who are Muslims travel to Mecca. There are four or five places that they try to travel to in their lifetime where the prophet Muhammad was. Religious belief occasioned by location, by ceremony, by celebration, by charisma, and by excitement. Excitement. What's going on here? When he was in Jerusalem at the Passover in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. When they saw the miracles which he did, they had some kind of a belief. It wasn't saving faith. It was a religious belief. And we know that because it says in verse 24, Jesus did not commit himself unto them. So there was a lot, a lot of excitement going on because the Lord Jesus Christ was healing some people. Religious belief occasioned by location, ceremony, celebration, charisma, excitement, and also by crowds. Crowds. There's a crowd here in verse 23. It says many, many believed. There were probably thousands of people from all over that part of the world who were in Jerusalem because it was the Passover. People like a crowd. Uh, if you don't have a big crowd today, uh, folks are just not interested. They're not interested in, uh, if you don't have all kinds of things going on. Somebody told me recently about a church down in Spring Hill. And when you go in the church there, they turn off all the lights. And then there's some lights flashing in the background and then the auditorium fills with smoke. I want to know what that has to do with worshiping God. That, that would remind me more of hell than it would of heaven, of worshiping God. Turn off all the lights and smoke and something bright by turning it back. People, churches are doing everything today to attract people. And I'm going to tell you about that, God willing, Sunday morning. I'll tell you about that Sunday morning or either next Tuesday night. I haven't made up my mind yet. But let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. Uh, folks will follow the leader. They'll follow the leader. It says many believed right here. They didn't know who Jesus was. They didn't believe he was the Christ. They didn't know it was the Son of God. Uh, they didn't know about the angels singing praise when he was born. But a lot of them believed, and so others followed them. Many believed. And they believed in his name when they saw the miracles, which he did. Okay? I'm repeating these things on purpose. Location, ceremony, celebration, charisma, excitement, crowds, and time. The time is important for religious people. Many believed in his name, when there was a certain time, there was a certain feeling in the air, when they saw the miracles, which he did. What happened when they left Jerusalem? Well, all that excitement left. All of that charisma was gone. The celebration was over. You know what I'm talking about. You've been places where there's something exciting going on, and when it's all over, it's about twice as low as it was before 
it began for you. But when they saw what was going on and the crowds were following, and this is really what concerts are today. I used to play in concerts. When I played in Chicago at McCormick's Place up there, we got in the bus. There were thousands of people around the bus, and they started rocking the bus. I was sitting on the bus, and it takes a lot of power to rock a bus. And I was on that bus, and today when people go to concerts, all they're doing is having a type of worship service. That's what they're doing. As I said recently, we don't call these movie stars and musicians idols for nothing. When I was growing up, they'd say, my idol is Elvis Presley. Uh, my idol is Tommy Sands. Some of you don't remember who Tommy Sands was. My idol is somebody. Well, that's what they are. Well, location, ceremony, celebration, charisma, excitement, crowds, time, and power. People are really drawn in if they think there's some power there. He performed miracles. They're believing in these miracles. They're believing in his power and not in him. Remember when he turned the fish uh, multiplied the fish and multiplied the loaves and uh, it says that the multitude kept following in him and Jesus turned to them and said, I know you, you're not following me because of who I am and because you love me and because of what I'm teaching. You're following me because of the loaves and the fishes. You think you got a free welfare system here and I'm going to keep feeding you day after day by multiplying the fish and the bread. Labor not for the meat that perishes, he said. All right, so religious belief occasioned, can be occasioned by where you are, by what's going on, ceremony, celebration, by charisma. You've got a, a, a preacher or a priest or somebody that has a lot of charisma. People follow that. They're drawn to that. And these folks that have that type of pers personality use it. Excitement, crowds, time, and power. All of this moves religious, religious people. Now, I could have you turn, I'll just tell you where it is, but in 1 Kings chapter 1, we find, would you like to turn over there? Let me show you something. We'll come back to John's gospel. 1 Kings chapter 1. Let's see. All right, this is David. He's an old man. What did they do for heaters back in those days? Well, they got young women. <laughs> they got young women. They didn't have any electrical receptacles. And so they, got, they brought young women and he brought a young woman to the king. It says, look at verse 1. David was old and stricken in years, and they covered him in clothes, but he got no heat. His servants, <laughs> his servants said unto him, Let there be sought for my lord the king, a young virgin, and let her stand before the king, and let her cherish him, and let her lie in thy bosom, that my lord may get heat. You know, a, a, a Solomon says in the book of Proverbs that one person in a bed, in a cold bed, can't warm himself. That's true. So usually if you have two people, you can, you can at least snuggle up and get them cold too. 
So they sought for a fair damsel, verse 3, throughout all the coast of Israel, and they found Abishag, a Shunammite, and they brought her to the king. And the damsel was very fair. That means she was Miss America. She was Miss Universe. She was beautiful. And she cherished the king, and she ministered to him. And listen, watch this now. But the king knew her not. She was as close as you could get to the throne of power. She was with the king of Israel, the famous David who had killed Goliath, the man who had a chance to kill Saul and wouldn't do it, said, if God wants me to be king, he'll take care of him. Here he is now, he's an old man, and this young woman is brought to him to keep him warm, and she's privileged to the king, she's very fair, she ministered to the king, but it says here that he knew her not. Now that's the way it is with a lot of religious people. A lot of religious people will talk about Christ, and they'll, they'll go where location is and where crowds are and where this, that, and the other is going on, where something's going on, people want something new. But they don't know the Lord. They're not in love with the Lord. The Lord did not know her. And for us, the king must have a relationship. She must receive and conceive and travail and deliver, and that is a picture of the church. The church, the called out ones, form the what? The bride of Christ. The bride of Christ is the church. And this Abishag could, uh, she could represent a lot of things, but one thing she can't do, she can't give children to the king because the king knew her not. We need to have churches that through whom the Lord births people into his kingdom, brings people into his kingdom. That's what I like to have here in this place. And over the years, we've seen a lot of people come to know the Lord. But it's all about that. It's all about Christ. All right, religious belief. Let's go back to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. Religious belief, number one, does not confess sin. Religious belief does not confess sin. I've said this many, many times over the years. If you think men are sinners, ask them when you go to work tomorrow. And you'll find out that they're not as bad as all of that. They may have fallen short. They may have made some mistakes. They hadn't been perfect. You've heard that saying, haven't you? No one's perfect. And when I told a man one time, I said, I beg your pardon, there has been a perfect man. His name is Jesus Christ. He was perfect. And there's no fault found in him. And we're going to be judged by him. Religious belief is not dealing with sin. I hate to call names and, and uh, worry about people, but uh, I heard uh, Joel Osteen interviewed. I heard this myself uh, with Larry King before Larry King died. I heard it my, with my own ears. And, uh, and Larry King, who was a Jew, asked uh, Osteen, do you ever talk about uh, sin you ever talk about people being sinners? You know, Larry King said, I heard, I've heard some of these guys like Billy Graham, and I've heard, the, and he named some people. And he said, do you deal with that? you deal with any of that about the God's judgment on sin and all that? And Osteen said, no. He said, that's not, that's not my area. 
He said, my area is to try to make people feel uh, good and victorious and give them a, give them a sense of, of victory and all that. He said, that's not, that's not my area. He shied away from it. He didn't want to talk about it. Religious people don't want to have anything to do with sin. Number two, religious people have problems bowing to Christ as Lord. I don't believe that to be saved, you've got to do five things. You know, believe, repent, confess. I don't believe you have to do all that and be baptized and all that. I don't think that saves you. But I do think that if Jesus Christ is who he said he is, he is God in the flesh, and how could we even be in his presence and not fall down on our faces? You know, Charles Spurgeon, many of you have heard of Spurgeon, died in 1892 in England. He said, they prepared me for two weeks. For two weeks, they prepared me to meet the queen. And he said, yet we want to rush into the presence of Almighty God. No preparation, no nothing. That's the view that people have of the Lord. They have a high view of humans and a low view of God. Religious belief doesn't confess sin. Religious belief doesn't bow to Christ as Lord. Religious belief does not come to Christ as a Savior. Talk about Christ, but it won't come to Christ. Religious belief does not continue. When those things that occasioned it fade away, it fades away. Now, I have done, as you can imagine, I couldn't tell you how many funerals I have officiated and I'm not proud of the number but you can imagine I've, I've been here for over half a century I've been here 52 years and uh, before I came to Tennessee I did some teaching and preaching and participated in some funerals so I've done many 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 funerals and one thing that I've seen at these funerals I have seen people who were smitten I've seen them weep, I've seen them cry, I've seen them take an interest in the things of God and the things of Christ and the things of the Bible, and then six months later, when all of that fades out, their repentance and their faith fade with it, because it wasn't anything but religion, it was religious belief. For a little while there, they were moved because of the thought of death and the thought of eternity, but it faded out because it wasn't real. It was just religious belief. It didn't continue. What did John say in 1 John? He said, there were many who were with us, but they did not continue with us. If they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. Saving faith continues. You don't just believe to be saved. You believe the Lord every day. You don't just repent when you believe. We need to repent every day. Every day we need to be in a state of repentance, a state of turning from everything that displeases the Lord and turning to our Lord Jesus Christ. Religious belief is dangerous because, number one, it counterfeits faith. Religious belief counterfeits faith. You've got several examples in the Bible I just mentioned a couple of them. Demas, do you know who Demas was? Demas was a fellow that went on every missionary journey with the Apostle Paul. And finally, Paul wrote these words, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present evil world. 
You got a man like Judas Iscariot who was with the Son of God, who saw the miracles that he did, who heard him pray, who saw him multiply fish and loaves, who saw him raise people from the dead. And he betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. He was a religious man, but he didn't know the Lord Jesus Christ. He was not in love with Christ. Religion, religious belief is dangerous because it counterfeits faith. Number two, it grants a false assurance. A false assurance. There's no sense in our going to Matthew 7 to look at those passages where many will say to me in that day, did we not preach in your name? Did we not do miracles in your name? Did we not do many wonderful works in your name? And he said, I will say unto them, I never knew you. Well, you know, they thought they belonged to Christ or they never would have said those things. They never would have said, we did this and we did that and we did the other. You mean to tell me that we can do things in the name of Jesus Christ and not know him? Well, Christ said, I never knew you. You told everybody else you knew me, but I, what does it say here in John chapter 2? We just read it. Many believed when they saw the miracles which he did. Verse 24 of John 2, but Jesus did not commit himself unto them. Now they said they committed themselves unto him, but he did not commit himself unto them. In the third place, it's dangerous because it gives experience without knowledge. Religious belief gives experience without knowledge. Would you like to turn to John's Gospel, chapter 10? We'll come back to John 2. I said John 10, Romans, chapter 10. Romans, chapter 10. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, chapter 10. Here's what the Apostle Paul said about his own kinsmen, Jews, after the flesh. John, Romans 10, 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. I want to stand up and testify. I want to bear them record. Verse 2. They have a zeal. They have a zeal of God, but it's not according to knowledge. What's their problem? Well, they are ignorant Verse 3, of God's righteousness. Now, this righteousness here is God's personal righteousness. They're ignorant of how personally righteous God is, how holy God is. They're ignorant of that. They, have, they don't realize it, but their views of God are too low. And if people have a low view of God, they'll have a low view of sin. They'll have a low view of everything because they have a low view of God. They said, I bear them record. They have a zeal. But it's not according to knowledge. They're ignorant of God's righteousness, verse 3. And you can tell when a person's ignorant of God's righteousness because they go about to establish their own righteousness. And they have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. For everyone that believes, the only righteousness you need is the righteousness of Christ who satisfied the law in every jot and in every tittle. So religious belief is dangerous because it gives experience without knowledge and it's dangerous 
because it will not be owned or acknowledged by Christ. So let me talk to you in the remaining time about saving faith. Saving faith is grounded, we can go back to Romans chapter 2, uh, John chapter 2. Saving faith is grounded in the word of Christ and not just his works. It says here in uh, John 2 that these people were fascinated by the works of the Lord. Why did he do these miracles, by the way? What was he doing these miracles for? He was doing them to authenticate who he was. He did miracles so that they would believe, they would have no excuse not to believe that he wasn't the Christ. He did things that no man had been able to do, raise people from the dead. When he raised Lazarus from the dead, I mean, those Jews, they saw what he did. Uh, he raised the young maiden. You know, they came and sent, sent for Jesus and said, there's a fellow that's helped us, us Jews, and he's built, helped us build a synagogue and all that. And his, his daughter is, is, is ill. She's very ill. She's near death. And Jesus was on the way, and they they stopped, a man, a messenger ran up and said, don't trouble the master because she died. And Jesus kept going, and when he got there, they said, there's no sense in you going in, sir. She's dead. He said, the maid is only sleeping. That's what he said. And they thought, is this guy nuts? Is he crazy? And he says, he put them all out except for the parents and two or three of his disciples. And he touched her hand and he said, Tabitha Kumi, which is Islamic for maiden arise. And it said she woke up. And you know what Jesus said to do when she woke up? He said, feed her. He said, feed her something. Her body has been on a fast. That's what we call break fast, breakfast in the morning. Your body's been fasting and you break the fast when you eat. And he said, give her something to eat. The Lord Jesus Christ did these miracles to authenticate who he was. And it says here in John 2, 23, they believed when they saw the miracles. Their, the object of their faith was these miracles. Okay? But saving faith is grounded in the word of Christ. I'm thankful for the works of Christ. I'm thankful for Christ keeping the law and dying on the cross and all of those things. But my faith is in Christ himself, not just in the miracles. In other words, if I pray to him and ask him to heal somebody that I love or ask him to heal me and he doesn't heal, we prayed briefly for uh, Charlene Bollinger's mother that I mentioned to you earlier this evening. Uh, but the Lord took her. So we're going to quit praying to him. We're going to quit looking to him. We're going to keep trusting him. Or we're going to say he knows best. He knows what he's doing. He's in charge. And we're going to trust him. We have promises that he loves us. We have promises that he will work out everything for our good and his glory. Number two, saving faith, and I've really already said this in a negative way, is not conditioned upon time, place, or location but it's based upon the spiritual need of a Savior. Saving faith is conditioned upon the spiritual need of a Savior. Am I a sinner? If so, I need a Savior. You might find this a little strange, 
But only a believer can and will confess himself to be a sinner. A person that's dead in sin is not going to confess themselves to be a sinner. Again, I'll try to give you more light on that uh, Sunday morning or Tuesday. Saving faith is reciprocal. Look in John's Gospel, since we're in John's Gospel, chapter 14. John chapter 14. This is the chapter where Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'll come again and receive you unto myself. John 14. Um, He says in verse 21, He that has my commandments and keeps them, that's the person that loves me. The person that wants to do my will, in other words. The person that knows what I've taught and wants to be obedient, wants to do my will. That's who loves me. And that person will be loved of my Father. And I will love him. And I will manifest myself unto him. That is true and saving faith. Expressed as love toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, In chapter 15 of John, verse 4, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. Without me you can do nothing. Abiding means a permanent residence. I mean, you're permanently abiding in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? When I said it's reciprocal, I mean he is in us and we are in him. He is in us by his spirit and by his word, and we are in him uh, by grace through faith. Okay? Saving faith is not led uh, to Christ by gimmicks, but by the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us in John's Gospel 14 and 15, we won't look at all these verses now, that the Lord Jesus Christ promises that he would send his Spirit, and he said, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he'll guide you into all truth. I said, it's John 15 and John 16. John 15 and John 16. In John 16, he says in verse 7, I tell you the truth, it's expedient for you that I go away. If I don't go away, the Comforter, the Parakletos, the one called alongside of, will not come to you. But if I depart, I'll send him to you. And when he's come, he'll reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. He is going to uh, guide you into all truth. Verse 13, John chapter 16, verse 13. He will guide you into all truth. He'll not speak of himself. Whatever he hears, that's what he'll speak, and he will show you things to come. Well, who's going to be speaking to him? Well, the Lord Jesus is going to be speaking to him. When you read in the epistles of Paul about the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Christ and the Holy Spirit is one and the same person. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have the Spirit of Christ. If you have the Spirit of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. And he says that when the Spirit comes, he won't speak of himself. He will guide you in the truth, and Christ is the truth. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. 
He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of himself. He won't cause you to be always talking about the Spirit, but he'll cause you to be talking about Christ. Verse 14 of John's Gospel, chapter 16, He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and he shall show it unto you. Saving faith is grounded in the Word of Christ, is not conditioned about, uh, upon time or place, but upon spiritual need of a Savior. It's reciprocal. It's not led to Christ by gimmicks, but by the convicting work of the Spirit. It is concerned with the heart, with the inner man. It rests upon Christ as all-sufficient in his death, and it testifies of man's need. Go back to John's Gospel, chapter 2. John's Gospel, chapter 2. Jesus, verse 24, did not commit himself unto them. He knew all men, and he did not need that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. The Spirit of God is the one who has to show us what's in us, show us our sin, show us that we're sinners, Show us that we stand in need of a Savior. The Spirit of God does that. And what's happened is men today are tired of waiting on the Spirit of God. They're not seeking the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is not present because the motivation behind the worship is not the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not going to, he's not going to honor anything that's not 100% for His glory. It's for His glory. This whole thing of living in this world is not about us, it's about Him. And the Father is going to work things out for the glory of His own Son. And man has a need. Jesus knew that these people had a need, but this is an amazing statement. He would not commit Himself to them because He knew what was in them. He knew they didn't love Him. He knew that they didn't want to follow Him. He knew that they didn't believe He was the Messiah and the Christ. They were there because they saw the miracles. It was an exciting time. It was the Passover. It was the feast days. There were thousands of people there. Other people were believing because of the miracles. They followed along, but they didn't know him. Let's make sure that we don't have a religious belief. Let's make sure that we have saving faith.